when I'm hiking by myself, I think about things that aren't necessarily logical, but are more feelings or philosophical. So a classic example would be, should I run for attorney general? You're listening to Happy Vermont, a podcast about people and places in the Green Mountain State. Charity Clark comes from a long line of Vermonters. She lived in Ludlow until she was seven, and then her family moved to Manchester. Her parents ran Clark's grocery store in Londonderry, and Charity spent much of her childhood outside, hiking, skiing, and exploring the woods. Charity and I attended the same schools in southern Vermont, but we really didn't know each other as I'm about five years older. But she grew up hiking a lot with her dad. He'd introduced her to the Long Trail, which is the oldest long-distance trail in the United States that was built between 1910 and 1930 by the Green Mountain Club. Charity started hiking that trail in her youth with her dad, and eventually she completed it years later. Not only is Charity an avid hiker and skier, she's also Vermont's first female attorney general. She was elected last November. I met with Charity recently to talk about Vermont, her passion for hiking, and why she loves the Green Mountain State. Here's Charity. Before I even was hiking, I was wandering in the woods like a kid. And when I think about my childhood, I think about sounds like the Phoebe bird, the chickadee, and those like orange flowers in a bush, jewelweed, you know, and you can like squeeze them and they pop. And that's like so fun when you're a kid and pussy willows and things, you know, just being in the woods. Before I was hiking, I was just like a wild kid in the woods. And looking back, I'm sure my mother needed to do the dishes and was like, go outside, you guys. And that we had land in the middle of nowhere. And that's what we did. That was our childhood. And in the winter, we would go skiing, which in a small town, we went up went to Okemo because I lived in Ludlow until I was seven. And we were just like wild kids on the mountain, skiing down the mountain with no poles, like one million miles an hour, probably terrifying our parents. And then as we got older and our legs got longer, we did start hiking. And my dad, who was an Eagle Scout, was always really into hiking. And so hiking became a thing that we did together as a family. And then as I got older and became a grown up, my dad and I would do together. And now we still do together. We just went hiking on Sunday. We did Stowe Pinnacle together. So it really became a thing that was like part of our family activities. Is your dad like a lifelong hiker? Has he been doing this his whole life? When he was a kid, he and his cousins and siblings and parents would also go hiking. And they had this tradition, which thankfully ended Memorial Day, they would go hiking. Well, Memorial Day is not a great day for black flies. So they would have like this big camping trip that always a feature would be black flies. So I've only had one adventure with my dad and my brother. We did a section of the long trail in the northern part. I remember Laraway Mountain was featured and there was for some reason the time of year, tons of black flies, and we had to actually hike with our mosquito netting over our heads. <laughs> so that was the only time. Usually you can time it right and avoid the bugs. So my dad had a grocery store in Londonderry, and the commute from Londonderry to Manchester is 
a road that crosses the long trail. And so in the summer, a feature of my childhood would be, you know, pick up hikers along the way who needed a ride into Manchester because they were taking a day to resupply or whatever. So not even hiking. It was like a part of the culture. But then we did. Of course, we went hiking. There's so many great hikes around Manchester because it's in the Green Mountain National Forest and the long trail is right there. Baker Peak. We had such an awesome hike on Baker Peak. And I remember my dad saying, you know, Charity, you're in the thick of soccer and you're probably in great shape, you know. And I thought about that hiking so many times, like how I took that for granted that I just, when you're 16 and you're just in great shape. Other favorite hikes would be Prospect Rock. That's just so beautiful. And then the trails around the equinox are just awesome. And I think as an adult, I've really appreciated those as well because they're kind of a social hike. I always like run into people I know and dogs that you want to like pet. There is a new hike. I can't remember what it's called by the Hildeen Meadows that has like a boardwalk. Oh, so it's, yeah, it's on that. It's accessible. Yes. So if you have mobility issues, it's accessible to you. I love that hike. I went there for the first time when I was living in New York City and I was thinking to myself, like, this is paradise. All the sounds of nature and the view, it's like just in the smells, it's so beautiful. But of course, you can't talk about Manchester without talking about Mount Equinox, which is sublime. It is majestic at the top. I was up there once and it was like rainy and these rainbows came that felt like you could reach out your hand and touch them. It was magical. It's so high up and the elevation gain, that is like a hike. It's tall. You know, a lot of hikes, they start tall. I felt guilty when I was at Stowe Pinnacle because I was like, we're driving up, 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 up (laughs) to the parking lot. I know. Mount Equinox isn't like that. It's a real hike. So there's so much great outdoor activity you can do in Manchester, but tons of great hiking. I just remember the last time I was up there, the new it was like a welcome center, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, at the top, yeah. and they built a fireplace out of some of the stones that were at the top, and people had carved their names in there. And so, of course, my dad has to bring me over and show me where my ancestor had carved his name. So, I can't remember if it was, you know, my great 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 grandfather or uncle or something, but his name is carved in the stones that make up the fireplace. Are your parents from Manchester? Well, my parents grew up in Ludlow. Okay. But my dad's parents are from Arlington. Okay. And their parents are from Arlington and so forth. And my mom's parents are from Ludlow and their parents are from Ludlow and so forth. So on both sides of my family, I am a 10th generation Vermonter. Wow. Yeah. And the market you were talking about was Clark's Market in yes. Legendary at the and shopping I, center. That's right. I just talked to someone today who told me that even though it was sold you know, three years ago, people still call it Clark's. Oh, Because it's been Clark's for so, for so long. So long. Yeah. Did your parents sell it three years ago or did they sell it long before that? No, they sold it like three years ago. My dad, his brother and sister decided to retire, that it was time. And so they sold it. And, you know, it's bittersweet having been, you know, as I like to kind of joke, but it's true. I am the daughter, granddaughter and great granddaughter of small town Vermont grocers. And even when I was in college, like my college boyfriend would announce if you went into a supermarket, nobody buy any fruit until you check with charity. (laughs) So I like feel at home in a grocery store. And I when I was in New York, I was always getting incensed. I lived in Brooklyn. And of course, the grocery stores in Brooklyn are like doing everything they can. You know, there's not a lot of space. And I'd always be so exasperated, like the people soap does not go in the same 
same aisle as the dish soap. I would be like, what is wrong with this place? And they always have a cat in the produce section oh, to like yeah, keep love the that. pests mm-hmm. away. And I was always, I loved that contrast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So your experience kind of out in the woods and out in nature and hiking, that has stayed with you. Was there a period in your life where that was gone? Like when you were in New York, oh. did you? Yes. So what happened? I mean, when I was in New York, I never planned to stay there as long as I did. I stayed there for six years. And towards the end, I was so over it. I literally would be on the subway in my pencil skirt and my pearls. And I got a subscription to Mother Earth News. And I would be like on my way to Midtown Manhattan. And it would be like reading about chicken tractors and how to cultivate your conquered grapes. And I would just transport myself mentally back to Vermont. And it was on the train like a year, year and a half before I moved home that I read this amazing book called something like So Clear, So Lovely, So Close, which was published by the Green Mountain Club. And it was the diary of a recent medical school graduate who hiked the long trail early on, like in the 20s, with his buddy. And back then, there really weren't shelters. So you would knock on a farmhouse door and say, if I pay you money, will you feed me and put me up for the night? I'm hiking the long trail and all the porcupines. And I mean, it's just so charming, so charming. And it was in reading that I could transport myself home. And then eventually I was able to actually transport myself home. Right. I'm glad you did. Me too. So speaking of the long trail, you've completed the long trail. It took many years, right? It took many years. I did my first hike with my dad and I have photographs of it. So I'm judging by like my hairstyle and everything. It was the summer that I turned seven. So I was either six or seven when I started my very first leg. And my first leg was Little Rock Pond. And I'm literally going there tomorrow with my daughter and some friends from college and their kids. So I'm really excited. She hasn't been there yet. But I hiked my last hike in 2021 with friends from college and their kids and my daughter. So my last final hike to complete the long trail was her first hike on the long trail. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was awesome. That's awesome. We went to Minerva Hinchy Shelter, and Minerva Hinchy was the longtime like clerk or something for the Green Mountain Club in Rutland, where it used to be headquartered. And it's not a hard hike. Of course, I'd been hiking all summer to finish the long trail. So I was in optimal shape and I thought I could carry anything. I could probably carry my daughter if I had to, but she was very good. And I only had to carry her backpack for half a mile. I have a photograph of myself with like a backpack on my own back and then a backpack on the front. But her backpack was almost completely full of stuffed animals. So it was very light. (laughs) So I managed fine. (laughs) When you hiked the long trail, like I know it took, you know, you started as a kid and then you recently finished. But so it's Did you do it in sections like in a linear way or did you Mm -hmm. sort of pick different sections and... Let me bring us back. So I hiked that first section and it was just a day hike. You know, it was just a little bit of a section, a tiny bit of a section to go to Little Rock Pond with my dad. And then, I mean, I hiked here and there. I'm sure I probably did other tidbits like that. But when I was in high school, my dad kind of realized I'm in my late 30s. These knees aren't going to last forever. We might as well finish the long trail. And because he was from southern Vermont, he hadn't done a lot of the hikes in northern Vermont. And so he wanted us to go with him. So we were like, sure. So my first overnight hike on the long trail, I think I was 16. And back then, there was no apps, obviously. It was the 90s, the early 90s. And the long trail news would come in spring. And that's where you would learn about plans to change shelters and whatnot. And I don't know if it hadn't come yet or what, but we missed the shelter because they had like rerouted the. So my very first night on the long trail, we cowboy camped under the stars 
And I was like, this is so fun and so cool. I was just like, this is wild. And of course, I slept through the night because I was, you know, 16 or 15, however old I was. And I was with my dad. So everything was fine and safe. And I did more hiking with my dad so he could finish. I think he probably finished when I was maybe in my early 20s or in college. And I continued to hike with friends. And in college, my nickname was Night Hiker because I was so busy during the day that I would find myself like starting the trail at night with friends and a headlamp on my head. But I really had this period in my life where, I mean, we talked about New York, but I mean, even going to law school, I went to law school in Boston, not a lot of mountains to climb in Boston. And then I became a lawyer. And even though I was in Vermont when I started, I was working all the time, you know, cultivating my legal practice and all my skills. And I wasn't as focused on being outside hiking and skiing. I still did cross country skiing a bit, but it was really when I was in New York and I really started longing to come home when I I remember just recently, you know, Facebook has these memories that they bring back to you. And a Facebook memory came back that was me saying like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to finish the long trail. Who's with me? And it was like, two months before I got pregnant with my daughter. (laughs) So I was a little bit of a delay on the plan, but I did come back to it in 2020, especially, you know, cooped up in our houses. I think a lot of people long to be outside. And although I spent a lot of time outside skiing, it was really that period in the beginning of the pandemic that brought me truly outside hiking. And I just started hiking all the time. Did you ever, when you were in New York or when you came back to Vermont, did you ever feel like, oh, I need to relearn this or anything? Or did it just come right back to you? No, never. I never felt unsure. Like the woods always feel like they belong to us. And so you also hike year round. You're not just a fair weather hiker. You're out there year round. So when did your winter hiking start? In 2020. I don't even know where I learned about this, but I'd never heard of micro spikes. And I went to REI, which is the outdoor store in my town, and I asked for advice and a clerk brought me over to the choices. And I think maybe it was even me thinking, you know, my mom has yak tracks, so she won't like slip on her way to the car. And I was like, I wonder if I wore those, if I could go in the winter. And then the clerk at REI brought me to the selection. Of course, the micro spikes are the most expensive, so I don't want those. I'm like, what about these? And she was kind of cranky. She was like, just get these, and then you can go anywhere you want. And this was one of the best pieces of advice I ever received because those micro spikes were my pandemic hero, and I could go anywhere. And what's even better, and I hope your listeners will take this to heart, is some hikes are actually easier in winter. Rocky hikes like Camel's Hump, you can just go right up the mountain and you can go right down. And if you slip, it's snow. You're just sledding, you know? And so there are certain parts of the long trail that I've done where I've thought, yeah, this is a section you might want to do in winter (laughs) because it's easier. Winter like February or March when the snow is really packed, it's actually easier because there's not like any roots or rocks or anything to trip you up. Right. Is it a whole new skill set for winter hiking? I will say that... Just like when you wear cleats, you have to be careful not to twist your knee because you have so much, you know, you do have to be mindful of the power of the micro spike. I guess I would say I use my poles more because I'm aware that I'm like cruising and I'm not maybe being as careful. But I mean, I just I absolutely love my micro spikes. I hiked almost half the long trail in one summer. Wow. How many days did that take? I mean, it was a lot. And the summer of 2020 was very wet. So there was a lot of canceled trips, too. I have a sweet spot. I think the sweet spot is like three or four days on the long trail. 
And so that's what I really like. Like one isn't enough, two is good, three is good, four maybe is too many, but there's sort of a sweet spot for me. Yeah. Everyone's different. Right. So I would try to make chunks like that of days where to be on the long trail. Right. And in the winter, are you out there like anywhere? It doesn't have to be the long trail, but anywhere hiking. Is that like your thing in the winter on weekends? Well, it used to be. But actually, I really got into backcountry skiing a couple years ago because it combines all of my favorite winter sports into one sport. And I love it so much. I put it on my calendar every Tuesday morning from seven to nine. I blocked out skiing because I could just swing by Bolton on my way to Montpelier and skin up and then ski down and it's the best exercise and what an amazing way to start your day just like outside in the woods and everyone you meet there when you're doing that is so psyched to be out they first of all you feel like you're stealing time from god how did i get to wake up early and go skiing right so the long trails over 100 years old started being built in 1910 and i took you know several years to complete it and then it was the inspiration for the appalachian trail I think what fascinates me, and I'm sure a lot of people about the Long Trail, is just like how old it is, like this sort of sense of history out there. And, you know, I've read about like, you know, we've heard of plane crashes, old plane crashes on Camel's Hump. There used to be hotels in some of these areas, like I know on Camel's Hump as well. When you're out there, do you ever see like relics or anything out there? What do you see out there? I mean, I love when you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere and then you come upon a stone wall. And I always say to my college roommate is like my main hiking buddy. And I'm always making these observations. And I'm like, Liz, there used to be sheep here. This used to be a field or apple trees. And you're like, why are there three apple trees in the middle of nowhere? Oh, there used to be a farmhouse here. And the other thing that's so nifty is I have in one of my guidebooks, there is a photograph, an old, old photograph of one of the shelters. I think it's Governor Clement shelter. And I went there a year or two ago for the, well, I guess it'd be a couple of years ago for the first time. And I was so confused because I was like, this isn't what I pictured. And I realized because in the guidebook, there's no trees and there's people standing next to the shelter and they're squinting in the sun. Well, now it's in the forest, completely, a completely different vibe, you know? Yeah. And so it's just so interesting to think about how things have changed. And I've thought many times as I'm going straight up with no switchbacks, well, probably you could see the top of this mountain because it was sheep. There was no trees here. You just went right up. It, they wouldn't have thought to make switchbacks because it wasn't even like there was obstacles that you would go around or, you know, it's just like a completely different landscape in 1910 than it is today. Exactly. So exactly. There's yeah. so much history. It's so interesting. It definitely is. And I know when I was asking the Green Mountain Club a couple months ago, I was asking about like the oldest trails and one is the Burroughs Trail yep. that leads to the Long Trail and the Camel's Hump. And then of course, Stratton Mountain was like the birthplace of the Long Trail, right. you know, back in our neck of the woods. So yeah, I think that's just a really interesting part of mountains and the trails. And, and like you said, how it's changed, you know, you'll see apple trees, you'll see a stone wall. Do you ever see like an old foundation? Or yes, like a, you have. Yeah, I mean, I can't picture right now seeing old foundations on the long trail, though I'm sure they exist. Yeah. But definitely foundations. My other favorite part is you see this especially in southern Vermont is, you know, you're going along, you're thinking, I'm getting tired. And then the guidebook tells you, like, follow a old logging road. And you're like, yes, old logging road. So you know it's going to be easy hiking for a little bit. So that's another kind of favorite thing that you'll find. But yeah, it's diverse. And it is so interesting because it's almost like a history lesson as you're hiking. 
It definitely is. I remember in fourth grade at Manchester Elementary, I had just moved to Manchester and that fall, our fourth grade teacher took us hiking from the Appalachian slash Long Trail parking lot up, heading up yes. towards Bromley. Yep. And we hiked kind of the back end up to Bromley. Yeah. And that was my first hiking experience. And you're thinking like the first, this is always a joke I have with myself, where the first 15 minutes of hiking when I was that age, I would be like, why do I keep pretending that I like hiking? I hate hiking. This stinks. Like, why? I need to stop doing this. And then it passes, and then you get to the top, and you see the view. Yes. And it's just like, wow, this is so beautiful and so majestic. Like, well worth it. And then, you know, the next time you go hiking, you have the same conversation with yourself. And then finally, I was I make fun of myself. Well, it doesn't happen to me anymore. But eventually, <laughs> I was like, this is actually very comical, because this keeps happening, but yeah, then it passes. <laughs> definitely. It's kind of like when you go running. I, oh, like, yeah. It's the same thing. Like, you're out there. You're like, why do I? do this. Yes, exactly. After the endorphins kick in and then it's a little better. Yep. So of course, this summer has not been the best for hiking. You know, the rainy weather and the flooding has just really devastated places like Montpelier and Barrie and Weston in southern Vermont and Ludlow and all the way up to the Northeast Kingdom and all sorts of areas. Have you been out there on the trails at all this summer since the flooding? I've been out a little bit since the flooding and it is definitely still very soggy and always makes me concerned because there's so many places that trails cross rivers or brooks really you know this time of year i remember i was hiking a couple years ago mud season is always stressful for hikers because you can't hike so you're waiting but you can start to hike the lower elevation sunnier spots and the green mountain club is very good at telling you what those spots are so i think it was the stevensville trail so i you know early in, in mud season i'm able to hike that and i followed the hike according to the all trails app and then i got to this brook And I'm thinking, is this really the way we're supposed to go on this trail? It seems kind of high. And I'm thinking, I don't see rocks. And then I just realized, Charity, it's high because it's mud season. And I was like, I could take off my boots. I was by myself because it was the pandemic. And I was like, I could take off my boots. But I think that's a bad idea because this could be really unsafe. And so I had to turn around and like hike back a different way. And I think we're experiencing that now, except it's not mud season. And the trails that I go on, I also am mindful of there's a reason why we're not supposed to hike in mud season is to preserve the trail. And they always say, you know, if you arrive and it's muddy, please turn around. So it's really stressful. They close the long trail. I mean, they I don't think you can officially close the right. long trail, but the Green Mountain Club said, please get off the trail because they were worried about flooding. And, you know, it is really sad and upsetting to not be able to rely on these summertime traditions and systems that we have that are part of living in Vermont. So part of the flooding did affect those great elements of Vermont. And it is, it's upsetting. Absolutely. I was thinking about this earlier today. You know, there's things we sort of take for granted, like, oh, yeah, I'll hike in the summer. or Oh, I'll do this. You know, we have like our routines and our favorite things. And there's just been all this sort of upheaval. And it's hard to get your head around. And at the same time, it's like, oh, I'm upset about hiking or not being able to mountain bike as much. And of course, you have these communities and these businesses that have been really hard hit. And it's devastating. And your office is in Montpelier. I mean, Montpelier was just unbelievable. It's hard to describe. You were down there volunteering, I know, one day. What has this been like for you, who's someone who is in Montpelier, you know, every day, like seeing this devastation? I've heard a lot of people say this, but I had the same response where I heard that it was bad and I saw the videos and the photographs and then I showed up to volunteer over that weekend after the flood and it just seeing 
the extent of the devastation and the destruction of this, you know, place I love and is our state capital was so upsetting. I mean, it was overwhelming in that you just couldn't wrap your head around the magnitude of the impact. And of course, it was also overwhelming to see how people were showing up to support their neighbors, their community, the small businesses that anchor the town of Montpelier, the city of Montpelier. And that also was overwhelming and uplifting to see. But it was so painful to bear witness to the small businesses who were working so hard to salvage the goods that they could and the parts of the stores that they could and pivot to what's next. You know, could they find a spot to continue working? And it was just really hard. And part of that is the state government in Montpelier is was also really hard hit. So, you know, the buildings in Montpelier, some were very hard hit and won't be open for a long time. Others are, will be open sooner, but still a couple months of delay with folks being able to come back to work. So I actually am headed next week to Ludlow, which is another place that was really hard hit. And of course, I have family who live there who had roads wash out and stuff. And there's other places I'd like to get to in Lamoille County that were really hard hit just to support small businesses and do anything that we can to help folks there. It's such a hard time for Vermont because we just went through this 12 years ago. And it's a time for all of us to pull together. Absolutely. And I know there's been talk about, you know, three huge flood events since 1992. You know, you had the 92 flood in Montpelier, 2011, all over the state with Irene, and then this most recent flooding. So it's getting more frequent. And it's just, I guess we're asking maybe different questions now than we did 12 years ago with Irene. We thought, okay, we won't be around the next time this happens in 100 years, but that's not really the case. I know in your role as attorney general, I've seen some videos of you on social media talking to folks, like cautioning them, like everyone wants to help. You want to volunteer, you want to donate money. You also want to be smart about and make good choices about who you donate to and all of that. So have you been seeing like scams or things out there, people getting taken advantage of? Yes, we have. Scammers are looking for opportunities to steal your money. So a flood presents opportunities and they're going to take them. And this was national and presumably international news, the impact of this, maybe especially because it hit our state capital so much. But the types of scams, first of all, like the first week, I think, or maybe a few days after the flood, we received an uptick in the utility disconnection scam. So my hunch is scammers were thinking, okay, people are using fans and um, dehumidifiers to try to dry out their homes, and they're not going to ask questions if we call them and say, you need to give us $100 or $300 or whatever it is because your utility bill has not been paid and we're going to disconnect your electricity. And instead of saying, I know it's not due, I already paid it and we're good, they're just going to give the money so that they don't have to worry about the fear of having their electricity shut off and not having access to the dehumidifying, et cetera, (laughs) that they need to do. So that was one charity scams we always see after an event where people are going to be trying to be supportive and donate. So that was another one. And this isn't so much a scam usually, but home improvement contractors are another area of common complaint at the Consumer Assistance Program, which is housed in my office. And often what that looks like is a home improvement contractor who is a small business, and often it's a sole proprietor doing the best they can, and they take money and don't finish the job or don't even start the job. And so that's really a very common complaint. So we always try to give tips to help consumers select the best home improvement 
contractor for themselves and also to support home improvement contractors like you know, sample contract, for example, you too benefit from having a contract. So expectations are set, time frame and money is established before the work begins. All those kinds of tips are helpful to both parties so that everybody has a good experience. I know when a lot of GoFundMes went up, it was like, is this legitimate? I was helping put a list together of different businesses and community funds. And it was like, you know, double checking and vetting and all of that because... Yeah, it's also hard because our best nature is to support each other. And that's a thing that you don't want to discourage. And with GoFundMes, especially, because it's not like you can research and say, oh, this is an established nonprofit, so I feel comfortable giving money to them. It can be really challenging to know, you know, what the best way to be helpful is. But we always encourage folks to just, you know, do their research and try to support those endeavors that you know to be legitimate, that you're confident are legitimate. So November 2022, you were the first woman elected as attorney general in Vermont. Yes, that's right. That's a big accomplishment. And so your legal career started in Burlington, right? At Downs Rockland Martin? Yeah. And then worked in New York City. And then you returned to Vermont. Was it in 2014 you returned to Vermont? Yep. I was seven months pregnant and I quit my job in New York and I packed up my apartment. I rented a car and I literally moved back to Vermont in a snowstorm. I had two suitcases and my cross-country skis (laughs) and my giant pregnant belly. And I was like, I'm out of here. And I came home in February or, you know, late, I think it was either late January or February had just started. And it was so amazing to be home. I was so happy and elated and had my daughter in Burlington. She's an 11th generation Vermonter. And my twin sister is a postpartum nurse and lactation consultant. So she was my nurse, (laughs) which was awesome. Yeah, I never looked back. And I mean, I literally didn't even go back to New York City until last year. So wow. (laughs) Yeah. So did you come to Vermont? Was it for the job? Like, was it? I didn't have a job. You didn't. You quit. I just quit. And it was really hard decision. I had there was a generous for starters, a generous paid family leave from my law firm in New York. But I just couldn't imagine raising my child who I knew was going to be a girl. I couldn't imagine raising my daughter in New York City when I thought about the kind of childhood that I had in Vermont. It just I really couldn't wrap my head around it. And also working as a lawyer in New York, I mean, you work all the time. So I probably would have needed to have hired two nannies. It just wasn't going to be feasible. I had a railroad apartment, you know, with one bedroom. Like it was just, it was never going to work. And so I just knew I could come back. I felt confident I could get a job when the time was right, which in my head was, you know, when my daughter was five months old. And so I came to work at the attorney general's office, which was such a blessing because it was such a good fit. When I was in New York, I'm not kidding. I had a recurring dream that I was working in the pavilion building where the governor's office was. That's where I worked before I went to law school. And sometimes I would be like filing stuff or I would just be walking down State Street on a balmy night and thinking like, this is the best. And I just I would think when the state was my client, that was the best. You know, that was the best client, even though I wasn't a lawyer yet. That was who I was serving, because when you work for the state, everything you do is just making Vermonters lives better or making Vermont better. And I love Vermont so much. It's such a part of who I am and made me who I am. And so to give back is so, so satisfying. What was your job when you first started? I was an assistant attorney general. Okay. And then you stayed that until? I worked as an assistant attorney general until the spring of 2018. I became chief of staff. And then I quit that job the day after the former attorney general announced that he wasn't going to run again. 
So, Did you know immediately, like, I'm running? Yes. You I, thought about it before? I thought about it before I had, I mean, for years, really, especially when I started as chief of staff, because I've talked about this a lot, but there was a conference room that had on display all the portraits of the former attorneys general, and it was all men. And it was all black and white, which made it even more, like, old timey. And it just felt like, how is this not from like 30 years ago that we've never had a woman attorney general? And it sort of planted a seed where I first started thinking like, who am I going to recruit to run for attorney general? And I just kept coming back to myself and people would ask me to run. I had one former colleague who was an assistant attorney general who, I mean, he would text me and be like, it's been six months since I asked you to run for attorney general. So I'm just reminding you, but I knew I was going to run when at the time, which is why it was so easy to quit the following day. It was, you know, one day later and then 10 days later, I kicked off my campaign. I had to have like a website and everything. I didn't know that he wasn't going to run again. I mean, I thought there was a chance, but I didn't know. So I had to act really quickly. And that was, you know, mid-May and August 9th was the primary. So I had, everything was crunched. It was like the wildest summer of my life. Wow. And you're a real natural. I mean, you're so outgoing and at ease talking to people and you love Vermont. So it was like, that's so nice to hear. I mean, I do love that stuff. But the truth is knowing to lean into that and just be yourself and say, I'm just very enthusiastic person. I love Vermont. I love people. So I just have to be that person who I am. And maybe this will work. It'll be successful. And I'll get to be attorney general. I also have a lot of knowledge from all of my experience working, you know, for four and a half years for the governor before I went to law school, working at a law firm here. And then, of course, I'd worked in the attorney general's office for like, you know, going on eight years when I left and ran for office. So I had a lot of knowledge and understanding about the way the office works. The office is really big, which people don't realize. There's 150 people who work there, 96 attorneys. I mean, technically, it's the largest law firm in Vermont. And we do all kinds of different stuff, you know, transactional work, criminal work, civil work, environmental work, consumer work, civil rights. It just, you know, goes on and on. A really diverse type, not just topically types of law, but also the kinds of practice, you know, going to court, not going to court, you know, advising clients and all of it. So it's really diverse. When you think about a law firm in Vermont, it's very diverse work. When you're out hiking out there in the summer or the winter, whenever you're out there, and it sounds like you're with people a lot, right? Yeah, I am. Do you solo? Yes. Okay. So when you're out there by yourself and you're out in nature, on these trails, like, do you think about certain things when you're out there? You know, that's a really good question. I think when I'm hiking by myself, I think about things that aren't necessarily logical, but are more feelings or philosophical. So a classic example would be, should I run for attorney general? I mean, I literally, (laughs) I can tell you, I thought about that a lot when I was hiking in the Catamount Center woods in Williston, where I live, many times, you know, processing. So if I need to process something, that's what I'll be thinking. So it's like life decisions, life relationships, stuff like that. Like, that's what I'm thinking about. I don't, when I see people like listening to music or podcasts when they're hiking, I'm baffled because to me, it's just like excellent processing time. And I will confess to you that I have absolutely been in the woods by myself and said out loud something like, are you kidding me? Because I'm processing something and it's almost like I just, you know, but yes, I think about a lot of things when I'm hiking. Also, as you're hiking along, there's such 
cool stuff to see. So sometimes your thoughts are interrupted by, you know, trillium or a beautiful view or in the Catamount Center, there's a lot of deer and porcupines and rabbits and cool things. So, I mean, that's part of what's so great about being in the woods is you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, definitely. Do you find you're more motivated on a trail if you're by yourself or if you're with people? Wow, that's a good question. I don't know. I think it sort of depends when you're going uphill. So like a camel's hump, definitely when you're with people, it's easier. The time passes when it's strenuous. It's easier to be with a buddy. It's never good to be with a buddy who's in amazing shape if you're not. We have this hiking friend who is like 26 years old. And some of us will be like, okay, make sure that he's not in the lead because he will set the pace and all of us are like exhausted because <laughs> he's like young and sporty. But yeah, so it's good to not have such a difference in abilities. But yeah, I think that it sort of depends on the trail. Right, right, right. And Camel's Hump is how many hours? That's... Well, if you do it with micro spikes well, in the winter, it's much quicker. Oh, that's a good tip. <laughs> so, and okay. that's actually, well, I did it this past fall, but I did it the first time I did it in the winter. I did, I'm not even kidding. It was up and down in less than two and a half hours. Oh my god! And I was like, that was really fast. And then I thought, yeah, because you were on micro spikes. Also, I went in the afternoon and I'd forgotten my headlamp and I was like, I can't linger. But then you get to the top and there's always some knucklehead who's wearing sneakers and like no mittens. I think that <laughs> trip I remember giving out to, remember like the mama bear I was giving out like hot pocket pads to people I'm like how can you not have mittens you know so popular hikes like that sometimes you encounter less experienced hikers yeah I gotta give them a hand yeah definitely if someone is just starting to hike or maybe they're not that experienced or they're worried about going by themselves like what advice would you give them The most important thing is to embrace the ethos of the woods belong to all of us. And I even know for myself when I was younger, I would feel uneasy going hiking by myself when I was in my 20s. And I think that's, you know, old tapes playing of someone blaming the victim if something bad happens. But this sense of, oh, it's not safe to be a woman hiking by yourself in the woods. Well, the truth is, statistically, the most dangerous place for a woman is in her own home. So the woods belong to you. You are safe in the woods. And advice would be, if you're hiking by yourself, choose a hike that's popular because there are always going to be people. You find that if you hike the long trail, there's always community on the long trail. I mean, you get out there and everyone is friendly and they take care of each other. I was just thinking about my college roommate and I, Liz, were hiking in southern Vermont and we came to some AT through hikers. And one of them was, you know, a young guy, probably 22 or something, and his feet were trashed. I mean, they were blistered and horrible, and he didn't have his shoes on. And he said, Oh, hey guys, by any chance, do you have any moleskin? Two moms hiking. I was like, We have like the mom pharmacy. Out come all of the moleskins you could ever imagine. <laughs> So we laugh about that guy and he was like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, we were only there for like two nights and we were fully prepared to nurse this man back to health. I also highly recommend following the Green Mountain Club on social media because they have great tips responding to what's going on right now. So, you know, in mud season, they've got tips. If it's rainy, they have tips. You know, they'll tell you warnings about things or ways to keep yourself safe, winter hikes, or if it's a really popular weekend. Like one time I hiked 
Hunger Mountain during on Labor Day weekend and it was wild. Like it was I felt like I was at the mall or something. It was just mobbed. But they'll have alternate, alternate hikes yes. <laughs> for those yes. popular weekends. Yeah. So that's another tip that I would have. And just to know that you don't necessarily need all the fancy equipment. I mean, hiking boots are great, but a sturdy pair of shoes is also, you know, great. Just make sure you bring water and especially if you're new hiking on a popular trail is a good place to start because there's always going to be some mama bears with some moleskin <laughs> to help you out wherever you need. Thanks for listening to Happy Vermont. I'm Erica Housekeeper. You can learn more about the Long Trail by visiting the Green Mountain Club's website, greenmountainclub.org. And if you're looking for events, things to do, or other Vermont stories, you can visit my website at happyvermont.com. And if you have questions about your next visit to Vermont, please email me at hello at happyvermont.com. Thanks so much for listening. Take care and talk to you soon.